Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Overheard. We are back from the long break uh, Thanksgiving. Um, it was kind of a, a long week for us last week, so we just kind of decided to wait a little bit. <laughs> um, just with things being as they are right now, just kind of tired, wrapping up Christmas shopping, that time of year, that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, uh, Joe's here with me today, again, Hello. <laughs> as per usual. Um, and today's topic, we felt... Uh, we would go over our favorite albums. Now, before we get into this, I'd just like to personally say that uh, I, I actually, I actually had a hard time. I had a hard time with this one. Um, not so much that uh, you know you have a hard time finding out your figuring out your favorite music, but you know when we were younger, albums were actually a thing. But you know, music for like at least the last five, ten years, like you can you can go on Spotify for like ten bucks a month, find your favorite song. You don't really have to listen to a full album anymore you can just pick out your songs and i'd really think about this one actually it's i haven't listened to a full album in quite a long time yeah i mean it's uh i mean the good thing about spotify is there's so much music on there feels like we're doing an ad for spotify <laughs> I'm... there's so much music and they do have complete albums and they have you know so much music but it is really easy to just kind of cherry pick songs you like, make your own little playlist, and uh, not really give entire albums a chance. That's true. But in, and it's kind of weird too because I feel like it would do the opposite. Because, but I, I totally agree. But just going back, like you know, when we were growing up, you know, you had like CDs that like you you knew like one or two songs that were played on the radio or were advertised really heavily. And then it was kind of like, well, hit or miss with the rest of it. You know what I mean? Like, how much was it worth it for you to figure out if you wanted to spend fifteen dollars for the rest of that album, or how much was how much did you like that song? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean, when, yeah. when I was young, I had a, a paper route, and you know, I did make a. I wasn't exactly a millionaire, but I would uh, take my paycheck, get a cash. And head down to the record store on the, the corner of my block. And uh, basically every payday I'd get a, a new CD. And a lot of times, yeah, it was kind of a roll of the dice. Like, I know a couple of these songs, but we'll see if the album's worth it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes, sometimes it'd be really amazing. And sometimes it'd be, nope, those two, three songs is all I need this that, for. That's all they got. Okay. <laughs> but that, I mean... If you wanted those songs, if you wanted to have them, you had to get the album, you know? That's true. And then you had it in that giant black, uh, carried all your CDs around in that huge-ass <laughs> folder. <laughs> You're just like, oh, want to listen to this song? Let me go through 500 pages of CDs. Yeah, the, the first distracted driving at its finest. It's, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, people worry about... A 200 CD case. <laughs> yeah. People worry about driving with their phones now. That was a whole different ball game. Especially looking at like mixes you'd make and wrote in Sharpie. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Like, oh, which one is it? Ah. Right. It's like, all right, this is mix sweet summer three. Like, was it on this one or like? <laughs> or give give a give a mix a cryptic title that you'll never remember what it was like, like a week later. Yeah, you were just in a certain mood, and you're just like, this is how I feel. <laughs> I'll know what this means. <laughs> yeah. What was I thinking? 
Oh, man. Yeah, I don't even think cars make CD players anymore in, in them, do they? Mine has a CD player, but it's also old. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. My, no judgment, no judgment. I'm just, I was just thinking about that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I new cars might not have CD players. Like, I, I, I was just wondering because, like, you know, after a while, the tape deck got phased out, so I didn't know if that was a novelty thing. Because I mean, you know, all of them have like the USB plug in them now. Like yeah. my, my mine's about four or five years old and it still has that technology and it has that uh adapter technology. But um I mean, you know, for a while I would try and make an effort, like I wouldn't say the early stages, but like when iTunes was kind of a big thing, you could purchase music online, you had your iTunes store, I would always make an effort to go to the store and try and purchase a, a CD if I if I really like the artist, like there were a few of them like, no, I want I want them to have their money. Like I don't want them to just get whatever twenty cents on the dollar or the 99 cents that they're getting like i want to represent this artist but after a while like with spotify it just became too easy and i i feel bad about it but honestly like i love music too much i want to listen to it the easiest way possible it gives me suggestions there's playlists like i like i just you know you go into a best buy anymore and it's just like okay like there's a music section i guess <laughs> you know i feel bad but like it's just oh that's a whole other thing you know, growing up, going to a place like Best Buy, they, the music section was a significant part of the store, and now it's like a corner. Yeah. Honestly, you get more vinyl on there than you do CDs. Like, I yeah. mean, that's kind of more of a thing that's coming back anyway, but, and I know it's kind of, it makes me sad because, and we'll do a, we'll do a podcast about this later on at some time, but like, I know vinyl is perceived as like kind of like a hipster cool thing to do now. But personally, vinyl is a much better medium to listen to music on, and I, I feel personally like I'm, I'm glad it's coming back. It's it's fun. Like album art is amazing. There's you know you get posters in it, you get facts, you get a bunch of fun things. Um, you you know it's it's almost like thrifting at this point too. You go to a record store, you go look for your favorites. Maybe you find something for a buck that you never knew you liked before. It maybe brings you close to your family, like it's something you can talk about your parents with. You may not have a lot in common with, but they had that kind of thing when they were growing up. It's 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 awesome. Yeah, yeah. Used re used record stores are an absolute goldmine. Yeah. So that's definitely a business to uh, to frequent if you if you can. Absolutely. I I always have a hard time because like you know you go thrifting sometimes it may be like. Goodwill, like you have the record section, but it's all like old, like Christmas albums, <laughs> just the the really weird, just like what even is this? Like so that that's a situation where I, you know, I'll buy stuff for the album art. Just like if it's a cool cover or if it's a cool like sounding artist name, and it's like a quarter, I'll I'll bring it home. <laughs> see what it's about, you know. Yeah, you're brave, honestly. You, ne you never know. You never know. Like it could be good, or you know, it'll look good up on the wall with a frame. You know, that that's a good point. That's a good point. You uh, know, like yeah, the music's terrible, but look at this artwork here. It cost me a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> the frame was cut more that's true and, and chances are no one's probably even heard of it so it's not like why do you have that frame like <laughs> it, yeah, but, um, good conversation the, piece yeah the music i've bought lately 
has been either like at concerts like from the merch table itself like going directly to the artist mm-hmm. or buying music from like Bandcamp or directly through a label you know I, I found that I, I like doing that more because I know that the money's going to the artists directly it's not going through a store yeah or through any kind of through much of a middleman, maybe a little bit, but more directly than even, you know, buying an album in a, a store, you know. Very Not true. that there's anything wrong with that. That's just the way I've done it lately. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, there's a lot of little things that you don't know unless you find, unless you hear about, unless someone tells you, like, as far as, like, musicians being able to make the music they want or just being able to, you know, get paid for their their own work which is crazy to even think about but there was a time i know we've talked about it before especially like with the tom petty uh damn the torpedoes like they were trying to get license of their own songs like you know what i mean or get paid for their work um and that's something you don't really think about a lot actually and i that just reminds me of a quick story um and then we'll get to the albums sorry for uh, procrastinating a little bit but uh <laughs> Um, there's an artist who I really like, um, his name's Joshua Raiden. Um, he did a lot of the music for Scrubs. If anyone's familiar, um, you probably know his stuff, but, uh, back in the day when he was first getting going, you know, he got, uh, he, he was basically like, well, you know, I want to get paid so I can eat, eat. <laughs> um, and he, he got signed to Columbia, I believe it was. Um, and then he had, you know, he got a bunch of money up front to make the record. And the first thing he did was buy a pair of shoes and a sandwich. And, uh, you know, they, they, I won't say they took liberties, but they had basically like a thing like, all right, this is your vibe. We need you to write a song that's like this. It's peppy. It's, um, it's, I don't say it's what's popular, but like, it's, it's kind of what, is going on right now and he was basically like well that's really not me that's not the music i want to write so he basically gave them that entire check that he had like basically to survive and he was like nope can't do it and then uh he signed with a mom and pop record label that let him have free liberty over his music and just do what he wanted to do and he's making money that way so you know it's there's a lot more to it than than meets the eye as long as far as like getting paid and doing what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, having free, the freedom to be creative and freedom to make what you want to make is something that, you know, people think, you know, probably take for granted with a lot of musicians and don't realize the, the pressures that big labels can put on artists yeah and and you know we've talked about him before but one of the things i really liked about frank zappa there was an interview he did a while ago where he talked about the record industry he's like you know back in the day you had about these fat old guys you know chomping on cigars and they're basically like well we don't know what the young kids like try this out there throw this out there you know see if that works you know you got a bunch of these different artists and different types of music no one you know they're just trying to see what made money and then you got these 
young young kids come in well i i'm young i i know i know it works i know it works and then you know it totally changes because they they have creative control and they they think because they have the experience and i mean they're in charge of things now that they can control it and then music just kind of it's it's very narrow narrowed now but luckily you know with stuff like podcasts and just Spotify being able to get your music out there more easily and stuff like YouTube. It's hopefully going back to that previous way. And, and even like, you know, tiny desk, like that helps a lot. But yeah, uh, absolutely. Anyway, uh, with that being said, let's uh, start with our albums. All right. Joe, do you want to go first? Sure. Cool. I'll get this. Uh, I was debating whether or not to uh, go first with this, but might as well uh, get out of the way. One of my absolute favorite albums of all time is the debut album of the one and only Meatloaf. <laughs> yes. And that album is Bat Out of Hell. I, if, if I hadn't included this in my list, I would not only be doing myself a big disservice, I would be gravely disappointing Levi. Yes, yes you would. <laughs> And, and, you know, we don't talk about these things before we do the podcast, but I remember just, like, being in the showers playing, if he doesn't freaking talk about this, I'll be so pissed because... <laughs> this is the closest we've come to discussing any aspect of this show ahead of time. Right. It's him just, like, sending me text messages. It's like, not, it was literally, not telling you how to live your life, but... <laughs> you better, you better be, this better be on your list. <laughs> yeah. Discovered this album kind of accidentally. I had heard of Meatloaf, but I had hadn't heard any of the music. And uh, I was at my local library many years ago, and I discovered they had a music section. You know, I've, I've been a, a big reader all my life, and was used to going to the library for books, but I discovered they had a whole bunch of CDs, and uh, Bad Out of Hell was one of them. So I figured, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. The album art is still, to me, to this day, absolutely incredible. Just the super muscular, like Conan the Barbarian guy just leaned all the way, like breaking his back on the back of a motorcycle busting out of the crypt oh it's it's beautiful but uh i remember playing the music and from the first note of the title track bad out hell i was hooked and uh just a few little uh little facts about it it was released in 1977 43 million copies have been sold it's gone 14 gone platinum 14 times and uh the music uh, and lyrics were written by Jim Steinman. Everything is performed by Meatloaf, but Jim Steinman is kind of the, the brains behind the whole operation. And uh, the content of the album was developed from a musical that Steinman had written in 1974 called Neverland. Uh, and it was... Album was produced by Todd Rundgren. Who Heck yeah! <laughs> did, did, I know you're a big fan. Oh, we're gonna be did, getting to that. Don't worry. <laughs> did, uh, background vocals and guitar on the album, including the 
motorcycle guitar sound um, in the title track, Bad Out Pal. Now, there's a funny little uh, anecdote about that sound. They were in the studio working on the song and got to the part where they wanted sort of a motorcycle sound. And I forget if it was Jim or me who uh, said, you know, we just need this like sound like like a motorcycle revving up. And Todd like, just grabs his guitar and it's like, oh, you mean like this? And just, and just, just plays a motorcycle sound <laughs> on the guitar. Like, yeah, yeah, just like that. Do that again with, uh, when we're rolling. <laughs> and that's how they got that sound. You just... You know they they want it, and I don't know how he had come up with that prior to the session, but he just kind of just pulled it out of his hat, and it's uh just an iconic sound for the the song, and the album is just incredible, start to finish. To me, it is uh it's absolutely over the top, and the it's quintessential melodrama. Yeah, it, it almost feels like like a rock opera musical almost. Oh yeah, and it, I mean it, it has been turned into a, a musical in its own right. And uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, it has. <laughs> and, uh, it, and the live performances you'll see that Meatloaf does. I mean, it, it really is uh, a full stage performance. Um, you know, in the younger days up until very recently. And uh, just is so like larger than life every single song. It's cool Um, too because like you almost that album almost forces you to listen through the song. Like it's there's no particular one point in a song where you start because it just it builds throughout the song. Like it, it might get faster, but it just it just builds rhythmically lyrically like it just it really comes together like it may start off kind of slow but then by the end it's like it's in your face it's awesome yeah and i I truly feel that any song on that album could be a hit single for any artist yeah you know and just taken separately but it wasn't really well received uh when it was released at the time uh, really specifically for the reasons why I love it and why so many people love it so much because it is so over the top and it's larger than life and just it, it's it just hits you with everything all at once it's got it just so <laughs> just over the top is the best way I can describe it, it it's it's an absolute carnival of an album yeah and and honestly like this album and the people who produced it, I feel, had a lot of influence moving forward in music. I mean, you listen to, I think, of like Green Day's uh, American Idiot. That feels like a, almost a modern, you know, bad out of hell with how it's how it was made, how it's made to feel. Yeah, I mean, everyone looks at the Who's Tommy as the first rock opera. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's true. But I think the because of how huge and influential Tommy was, uh, people really overlook uh, Bad Out of Hell for its how theatrical it really is. And maybe it, you know it wasn't intended on really being 
a rock opera in the same way that the Tommy was, but anyone who's heard the album will absolutely describe it as a full-on rock opera. There is a a narrative running through it. There are there absolutely are characters. Yeah, yeah. And and, <laughs> and, the, and uh, he... there's, there's there's something on the storyline. You know, it's 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 an absolutely incredible piece of music. Yeah, and he was on Broadway at the time too, or that's how he got his start. He was a Broadway guy. Yeah. Meatloaf, yeah. Meatloaf, yeah. Originally, he was a he was a football player. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's yeah. how he got his nickname. Oh. Not to change the subject, but th- this blows my mind. Did you know that Jim Gaffigan was an All-American at Notre Dame? Speaking of football players. Yeah, he was, like, going to go to the NFL, like, top tier, but he decided to go into stand-up instead. That blows my mind. Oh, he discovered Hot Pockets in the rest of history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought someone was messing with me, but I looked, looked it up and was like, holy crap, no, that's real. But anyway... <laughs> Um, one of, one of the funny things about, and this doesn't have anything to do with the album, but like, I saw this comment the other day when I was listening to, I was actually listening to this album because I figured you would talk about it. Um, <laughs> you demanded I would talk about it. I know. I know. Um. Did I introduce you to this album? Honestly, you really did. I, it yeah. was, dude, okay. It was one of those things where like, I like to listen to music before I go to bed. I got my headphones on and I'm like, all right, I'll check out, I'll check this out. I did not go, I did not fall asleep until like one in the morning. I listened to that thing straight through. I was pumped. I was like, I mean, I, I that. Say, uh, all albums to listen to before you go to bed. Really low on the list. It was just so <laughs> technically good. I was just like, oh my God. Like, I could just keep going. Like, whatever. Like, you know, like it just felt so good to listen to. That, it really is. It is. It's all endorphins. Like even even the song for crying out loud, as as sad and dramatic as that is, it's still such a powerful song. It just it you can't help but like feel some kind of way about it. Yeah, that's and the only the only thing I didn't really like about it, I sh- I shouldn't say that I didn't like it. Just kind of the beginning of uh, uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Just that that introduction just really weirds me out. Like I know there was probably like a Wolfman kind of like old school Universal Monsters thing about it, but like I just was like uh, okay, just get to the song, please. <laughs> that, that is a that is an interesting part. Um, the wolf with the red roses. <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, that was, I was like, all right. I like there's there's probably a story behind this. I'm just gonna keep on uh, getting through this I until it gets to the Say that to all the books. Yeah, that one. <laughs> and then boom! Da, 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 da. <laughs> oh my god! But that is such a beautiful, beautiful specter-esque song. Oh, it is. Oh man! Now to bring it back a little bit, one of the things I wanted to talk about on this this album, the producer, the man himself. Todd Rundgren. Mm-hmm. A lot of people probably aren't pretty familiar with him. Um, I just I feel like it's really important to bring him up in this because he has had such a huge influence in so many aspects of music and recording, um, especially recording uh, innovation throughout music. 
Um, he's been noted as uh, having a big influence on Prince as well as Pink. Um, he's worked with a lot of bands throughout the years. He's worked with, uh, I don't know if people are familiar, if they like their old school punk, the New York Dolls. He's worked with Bad Religion. He's worked with um, uh, Grand Funk Railroad. Uh, we're an American band. That was his. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. He's got quite a body of work. Yep, yep. I know there's a couple more, but uh, he's, I mean, he's done, not to mention he was one of the early innovators in the 90s with getting their music out, like on music sites. Um, he was a big proponent of that. Uh, as far as like electronic music is huge, 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 huge help in the electronic um, music industry. You know, probably most noted for his album, A Wizard, A True Star. If you've never heard of that, you can hear the early influences on that. Big into computers with recording. Um, he's also played with, hung out with a lot of great musicians. Um, actually, Eric Clapton, he got Eric Clapton's guitar, uh, The Fool. Um, for a while in the 70s. It's it's a beautiful guitar. It's got like a angel, naked angel on it with a bunch of green, blue, and red colors if you've never seen it. It's pretty awesome. Check it out. Look at it. Um, also, <laughs> actually, I'm, I forgot about this fact. I wanted to talk about it with you because it makes me laugh. Um, also, he's you know worked with George Harrison for a little bit. I mean, he was on Ringo's All-Star Band Tour, so he's, he's hung out with a couple of the Beatles a little bit. But uh, he's, he's known for for not mincing words. And uh, he, I don't remember if he told George it was an interview, but he was basically like, yeah, the Beatles lost me after Sergeant Pepper. He's like, they, they totally lost it, lost their momentum. And you know, a lot of, a lot of people that he's, he's recorded with, they're, they're basically like, yeah, he's kind of a, a butthole, but like, it, it sounds like we're having fun, but like we're working really hard. But I mean, once you hear his production quality and the harmonies and the ridiculous chords he's using, like I shouldn't not ridiculous isn't bad, but like, like minor seventh, like just ridiculous chord harmonizing changes that are just, that sound amazing, but are really hard to do. Um, he's, he's really, really amazing. Just very notable in, uh, in music history, just to bring up as far as, you know, producing this album. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry, I, mean, I was kind of... <laughs> I, mean, I remember watching the documentary, and they talked about getting him to produce the album. And the, I mean, the, this was a project that people didn't want to touch with a ten-foot pole. But yeah. Todd was like, "Yeah, you know, it's they got some good songs, they've got some good bones, and I, I, I like how, you know, I think this could be a good project to work on." Yeah, they and, they they funded it themselves, didn't they? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. it was Jim Steinman's baby, like had to you know they're gonna make it or die trying that's yeah it's a good point and uh shoot well thank god they made it and didn't die trying <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right well so what's yours oh well actually um we're gonna get to that in just a second i'm going okay. we're gonna take a quick break and then uh we'll get to my first one Welcome back to Overheard. Um, we're talking about our favorite albums today. 
And I know we were talking about meatloaf previously, and uh, we were talking a little bit about Todd Rundgren. One more fact that I actually just remembered, I forgot. Um, if you are a fan of Liv Tyler, if you've watched Lord of the Rings movies, or maybe you remember from Empire Records, uh, there was she was in something else too. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but um, that's actually good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to forget <laughs> that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, fortunately I did. Um, <laughs> uh, that's actually uh, Todd Rundgren's daughter. Well, okay, so back in the day, uh, he was involved with the same lady that uh, um, Steven Tyler was involved with, and I didn't know who the dad was at the time. So, but, and you know, Todd Rungler was basically like, well, it's one of us, you know, Shane's a dad. He signed the birth certificate papers, basically. He took care of her for a lot of years. She credits him to a lot of, you know, fatherly things, just being, being there for, considers her part of the family. I just thought that was a cool fact. He actually, there's a live album where she's actually, like, he actually hands her off on stage. Like, he carries her out, and then he's like, all right, got to play guitar now. But anyway, um, my first album is one that actually came a little later in life um, with me. And it is a, well, punk rockabilly album. Shocker. <laughs> um, it is by The Misfits, and it is called Legacy of Brutality. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's, um, I actually, I debated this one. It kind of feels, I, would, I wouldn't want to say like a greatest hits, but it's more of like an, an, uh, a lot of the songs are off static age or pre-recordings of uh, songs that were before. They never really came to fruition. But I feel like a lot of songs in this album are, honestly, they would they would be on a greatest hits album. At least for me. They're all my favorite ones. Um and one of the fun th fun facts about it was, you know, uh, if you're not familiar, uh, the lead the lead singer wrote all the material for it. Um, Danzig, um, he's totally awesome. He does a song, uh, "Mother." You know, if you never if you've heard that, it's probably one of his more popular ones. He was in the Misfits before from, from his solo. Yeah, career. yep, yep, from the solo stuff. Um, and they recorded, uh, I think it was like between sixty and seventy songs for this album. Like he wrote like sixty to seventy songs for this album specifically, <laughs> which was just crazy. That's that's so many. And then they wound it down to just those few. Um, and actually, one of the really uh, cool things about uh, this album was uh, it was very well. This band in general, really, it was named after uh, Marilyn Man or Marilyn Manson, <laughs> uh, Marilyn Monroe. Yep. I mean, yeah, that's that's a song song title on it. Also, a lot of the uh, artwork is very Maryland-esque and later. Um, yeah. Like the dive by Darling. Yeah, you know. Um, just, just some songs on it I wrote down for people to check out. Some of my favorites. I mean, Hybrid Moments is kind of, <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Uh, Come Back. Yeah. Come Back. Some Kind of Hate. Angel Fuck. Where Eagles Dare, um, She, Halloween, Halloween Nightmare, Halloween Nightmare. Halloween American Nightmare. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, like, I'm going off the top of my head right now. It's all good. It's all, yeah. it's all and, cool. uh, I really like Spinal Remains, too. 
that is that's a, yep it's an underrated track it, yeah that's that's a good point it really is honestly that's that's a good point yeah i mean it, yeah the, the the album is if i remember correctly it's a bunch of uh like a kind of a compilation of just like the early stuff from like the late 70s to the early 80s and uh you know there's there's some stuff from that wasn't included on static age and then uh like alternate takes of other songs yeah and it's a, it's, it's a really it's a really interesting album from that like it's a it's a cool little retrospective of the misfits it, it is and speaking of i know i mentioned briefly their name uh was you know based off Marilyn Marilyn Monroe jeez that's a that's a tough word to say apparently <laughs> um it was they got they got the name the misfits from her final movie actually yep. that she appeared in <laughs> fun fact for you there um i know you know that but <laughs> <laughs> can't all be yeah. about us yeah. but uh you know Danzig it's it's one of those things where i feel like the Misfits just had all the everything working for them. Although, I mean, their shows were pretty intense. But I mean, as far as like marketing, like they had the coolest logo, just you know, the skull, skull. face, yeah, yeah. Uh, the fiend, <laughs> yeah. um, fiend club. It's just it's just a very recognizable. And actually, I think Jerry had a lot to do with that too. Yeah, he was they, big they, into the marketing. They caught a lot of flag for that too, being yeah. like just from. Kind of how successful their their merchandising and marketing was that it was like a some people were accusing them of like selling out without actually selling out just because of like how in demand their their merch merchandise was you know yeah which is really sad <laughs> honestly. I mean, they were definitely not catering to any major label sensibilities at any point. No. If any, if anything, later on in their career, they went even farther away from that, That's getting true. a little more, a little more heavy and intense towards the end. That's true, and I feel like people really picked on them a lot too. Um, just, I don't want to say trying to get under the skin because if you know, if the people listening, if you've never seen what they look like, you know, it's a lot of heavy makeup. You know, they look like skeletons. Um, their hair is kind of greased down over their faces. Devil lock. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very distinctive look. It, yep. <laughs> very distinctive goth punk look. Um, in one but, of the, I mean, they—they're always just themselves, you know. That's not trying to be anything else. No, and and the best part of that, or one of the best re, uh, best examples I can think of, was Doyle, one of the lead uh, guitar players. And the band was bass. doing. Oh, she's bass. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Man, I need to. I need to stop drinking while we're doing these things. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it's based on a bar, but whatever. Uh, yeah, when he was doing um, an interview, <laughs> this poor girl, you know, she was asking him a bunch of questions. A lot of it was about his health, because this dude, but he's he's shredded. I mean, he is. Well, if you saw a picture of him you'd understand he doesn't he doesn't really wear clothes 
in their performances. Um, he's, you know, he's a vegan. He takes very good care of himself, works out a lot. You know, a lot of her questions were like, you know, why, why don't you eat meat? And like, why, why are you doing all this? He's like, cause it's, it's bad for me. I'm not doing that crap. Like, <laughs> you're are, saying, you talking about Doyle? are you talking about Doyle? Yeah. I thought you said Jerry. Never mind. No, I said Doyle. Oh, Doyle. Yeah, Doyle's the guitarist. Yep. <laughs> Doyle's the guitarist. Jerry's the bassist. Yep. And they're brothers. Yeah, and blood brothers. They're both, they're both shredded. Like. <laughs> yeah. Doyle more so. But, yeah. yeah. But it, it was just like, it was just trying to take that thing of like, you know, like, are you really punk? And then people are, they're just like, well, this is my lifestyle. Take it or leave it. So, yeah. <laughs> Yes, he is. <laughs> Always chewing on gum. Yeah. And, you know, I, the, the early, the early, you know, this is, I specifically picked this album because, you know, there's always that. Um, so if most people aren't familiar, like a good, a good uh, reference point would be like, I would say Van Halen because the Misfits, they lost uh, their lead singer in, uh, Danzig after a few years, I shouldn't say after a few years, but like, you know, he was around in the beginning, but, uh, he left to do his own thing. And then they brought this new singer and they kind of shifted a little bit more into metal. And there's kind of like this great divide, like, you know, really wasn't the misfits like Danzig misfits. And then there's, uh, you know, Michael's misfits. It's kind of the same as like, you know, Eddie Van Halen versus, or not Eddie Van Halen, but uh, David Lee Roth versus uh, Sammy Hagar kind of thing in that respect. You know, who's more Van Halen or what's the right, you know, what's the right one to like? And in my personal opinion, like, I think they're both great. So I don't really, you know. And we've, yeah. we've talked about this, but uh, anyway. Yeah. Danzig era Misfits is distinctly different from Michael Graves era Misfits. You know, definitely yeah. very different sounds. Then now, you know, Michael Graves out, Jerry only uh, took over until the the Misfits kind of reunited recently and started playing shows. Yeah, man, I gotta but be honest, like it was not a good direction too. Those those albums are not good. No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're all about equal opportunity on this podcast. But if you're gonna just start diving into the Misfits for the first time, just stick start with Danzig and you know check out the Michael Graves stuff. But you, you can stop after that. Yeah. <laughs> American Psycho was probably, I mean, I, I love that album. Yeah, Famous Monsters and American Psycho have some, some pretty cool tracks, but it is very different from original Misfits. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that comes close to that. Yeah. And he's he's kind of gone off the deep end lately, so I have a hard time even listening to those later ones at this point. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, with all the the Proud Boys. Yeah, that's stuff, not. Uh, Info Wars and all that all that nonsense. Just uh, it, it's hard to listen to now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that that's 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 mine. Um, do you want to do your next one? Sure. My next one is uh, definitely a uh, probably my favorite album of all time. It was released in 1985, the year I was born, coincidentally. 
And it's the ninth studio album from my favorite artist of all time, Tom Waits. And the album is none other than Rain Dogs. And uh, it was, it's kind of a, a loose form concept album about, uh, as, as Tom put it, the, the urban dispossessed in New York City. And it's part of a sort of a, a trilogy of albums that Tom released in the 80s, uh, consisting of Swordfish Trombones, Rain Dogs, and Frank's Wild Years. And those three albums, I think, really mark, or it's a, there's a real change in his musical like songwriting his arrangements and uh his instrumentation from his his early work which is a lot of uh, folks kind of folk country type songs on his debut albums more kind of old blues blues jazz kind of feel for for other albums and i think on uh starting with swordfish trombones and coming into rain dogs he really developed um what i think a lot of people recognize as quintessential some ways the uh, instrumentations the, the barking voice the wild colorful characters in his lyrics and it's just an amazing album brain dogs from from start to finish there's all different kinds of of musical styles um a lot of which are just of his own creation a lot of songs sound kind of like something you think you've heard before but they don't quite fit into any particular genre can you give me an example sure like uh the opening track is called singapore and it is uh it's basically sort of a uh the lyrics are kind of like a, a sea shanty kind of song uh we sail for tonight for singapore we're all as mad as hatters here and it's a really it's his really deep gruff voice just kind of half whispering half barking the lyrics over uh marimbas with uh you'll hear like uh creaking wood and sort of uh almost flamenco guitar in the background it really sets the stage for this musical journey you're going on it's kind of like a sea shanty but not you know, in the like floor stomping traditional way. And then, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, um, something like Jockey Full of Bourbon is, uh, it's got a nice little guitar riff, nice little, like shuffling drum line. 
but it, you know, it, it, it sounds, it's recognizable on, on one hand is like, Ooh, this is really good. But if you're, you know, try to plug it into like, what is the, what is the sound? What kind of genre is this? It's just, it's Tom Waits. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all you can say about it. And it's got a, speaking of Jackie, um, this album featured two really notable guitar players. You know, Tom has uh, kind of a revolving cast of musicians on various albums. He has his upright bass player, Larry Taylor, on most albums uh, that he's done. But on this album, he had uh, Mark Ribbo, uh, who is a phenomenally talented guitar player. He's actually played on his couple of subsequent albums with Tom. Mark Rubo had played on uh, three of my favorite tracks on the album, Jockey Full of Bourbon, Hang Down Your Head, and the title track, Rain Dogs. And, uh, excuse me, uh, there's one other guitarist that uh, is of some note, Keith Richards, oh, yeah. played on three tracks, and it was their first time actually uh, meeting and playing and recording together. And Tom just thought that Keith would really appreciate kind of the vibe of the album and uh, the songs. And he played on Big Black Mariah, Union Square, and Blind Love. Un and unpopular Keith opinion real quick. Yeah. Keith Richards? was the Rolling Stones. Without Keith Richards, the Rolling Stones would not be the Rolling Stones. You know, oh, yeah. Mick Jagger, I, I, I'm sorry. He's just, he does not do it for me. Like, it, it's all Keith in that one. I mean, Mick, Mick is a... Uh, he's a personality, no, but... No I, one's got swagger like Mick Jagger. I, like, I, I know that's a bold statement, but, man, I, I, really, I really feel that, like... I, w I will absolutely agree that the Rolling Stones would not be the Rolling Stones without Keith Richards. You know, he for all that he did for their sound and his absolutely godlike, yeah, legendary personality. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, nothing to take away from Jagger. Like he's absolutely an amazing frontman, but I just feel like if you were to take him and replace him with someone else, it would probably work just as well. But anyway, that's a very bold statement. I, 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 <laughs> I know that's probably crazy, but that's just uh, that's just where I'm at with that. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, Keith and, and Tom Waits are—it's absolutely a match made in heaven. Yeah. Uh, and when working on uh, the song "Big Black Mariah," actually, uh, Tom was kind of trying to tell Keith, you know, the kind of style of playing he wanted, but he didn't, you know, have, he didn't just, like, give him sheet music or tabs or anything. He just, he said, like, all right, we're going to be playing this. I just, I just kind of want you to play it like a snake moving through, like, sugar cane. <laughs> Keith, was like, Keith was like, what the hell do you mean? And so Tom just started, like, kind of, like, humming, humming the riff and just, like, writhing around like a snake. Keith was like, oh, okay, I got you, I got you. <laughs> and 
they actually did a uh, duet together on Tom's uh, latest album, which came out a few years ago, uh, Bad As Me. The song is uh, Last Leaf on the Tree. It's just uh, Keith playing acoustic guitar and him and Tom singing a duet about really being the last leaf on a tree, you know, outliving all their, most of their peers. And, I, I uh, mean, you're going to outlive us, probably. Yeah. It's going to be Keith Richards, kind of Lukaku. back on life. It's a, it's a beautiful, heart-wrenching song. Yeah. And, but yeah, uh, this uh, Rain Dogs, absolutely one of the best albums of all time. Right on, man. Well, that sounds, that sounds great. I'm glad that, you know, you were able to talk about it because now I want to go check it out. Actually, a um, little fun fact about Brain Dogs. In the movie Knocked Up, mm -hmm. the Judd Apatow movie with uh, <laughs> Seth Rogen, yeah. Paul Rudd is wearing a Brain Dogs t-shirt in uh, a scene in the movie where... Uh, his wife is on the laptop going over like the sex offenders in the neighborhood. That's <laughs> <laughs> just something that's uh, I noticed when I first saw that movie and thought it was pretty cool. Paul Red's a cool guy. He is, and he doesn't age either, so. <laughs> no, no, found the youth there. <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right, what's your next one? Well, you know. I tried to go back a little bit through my childhood because I didn't want to do like, like, you know, I mentioned having a hard time coming up with more recent things, but there were so many, well, you know, we didn't have, we meant, you know, as we mentioned, we didn't have iTunes or Spotify or anything. So this one for me, I mean, this was on all the time when I was a kid. I mean, you know, CD player, um, music was on all the time in our house, in our house. And this is the one I remember the most vividly would be Michael Jackson's Dangerous. I know, maybe a little bit, bit of a surprise, but uh, this, I mean, I I love this album. It was on all the time. And uh, it was done by um, a really good recording, recording studio, uh, Epic Records, which also did my next favorite album, but we're going to get into that a little later. But um, this 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 was really groundbreaking for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously Michael Jackson is the king of pop, but uh, you know his innovation is probably what he's most known for. And this this album really really did it. It was such a departure from everything he'd done before. Um, I don't want to use the term self indulgent, but a lot of his previous albums were very much mm, just you know traditional. But this album was more like more about you know trying to fix problems healing solutions you know put putting it forward being a better human being um actually one of the songs on it was in free willy so <laughs> you know the <laughs> the disney movie but uh that, i mean that was big in the 90s and um but uh it was it was pretty underground for its time um it was very socially conscious material uh it had synthetic bass lines they had uh drum machine percussion um and they had you know you mentioned uh tom waits kind of doing his own thing with sounds and stuff like that this album was very much that way too like he had breaking glass car horns swinging gates um 
and you know it's 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 considered one of the greatest albums of all time um also one of the most expensive <laughs> he spent 10 million to record it so <laughs> yeah um and, and it just goes to show like all the influence influences he had on it you know you mentioned um keith richards being on that tom waits album slash played guitar on this one um there was you know hints of industrial funk r&b pop new jack swing gospel classical rock it, it, it just had it all it was awesome i mean you know um it's and it's funny like i feel personally like the title track wasn't even the best song on that album um you know you had black or white which is which is honestly one of my favorite songs just in the beginning because the the dad is pounding on the kid's door like turn it off and the kid's like no this is my favorite part and then you know the dad's just like no come on and the kid's like yeah whatever eat this and then he just plays it and then just goes into this crazy thing it's awesome but um you know just it you know will you be there like i mentioned the free willy song like i know it seems kind of cheesy and corny but it's actually pretty good it's, it's, it aged well i feel like um jam the first i mean it's just get, give in to me like they're just they're just so many different feels in this album it's just it's just awesome lyrically musically it's, it's honestly it's just fun to listen to it's an experience and i and i'm you know i feel like a lot of the theme with the albums that we're picking are experiences so i thought i, I feel like this fits really well in there yeah that, that's i feel like that's the hallmark of a great album that listening to it is an experience it, it, it takes you on a journey you know whether it's a, a concept album or not you know just a, a collection of of songs that just for whatever reason fit together so well and just yeah and, and like, you know a great album is one that you hear one song from and you're like oh i just gotta listen to the whole thing yeah and you know you look at movies and like well this didn't age well or like oh this really works even today's standards like i feel like this album really really does that in a musical sense like you can listen to it today and it's still just as relevant now as it was in the early 90s um and musically lyrically like it just works it's it's you know standing the test of time and and this is in like the misfits this is another album where he recorded a crap ton of songs for the album i think it was like around 70 70 as well um i i couldn't even imagine having to go through that many songs to try and figure out and you know what maybe that is the process for a lot of people but then that just seems like an extraordinary amount of work i mean he was a workaholic so you know um, and much much you know it's it's almost tragic like you know i think about this album and just him in general like he he reminds me a lot of julie garland in a lot of ways um if you you know if you never really if people aren't familiar she's she did um somewhere with a rainbow you know she was if you've never seen the movie it's it's a pretty good look into what her life was like you know they they weren't really people they were always you know, from a young age, set into the spotlight, told how to be, like, they didn't really have time to find themselves as a person. So they were just kind of odd when they weren't doing their work. And I feel like maybe, you know, you know, Michael Jackson was the Jackson 5 as a kid. You know, he, he was working, he didn't have a childhood. He said it himself. So I feel like maybe this album was a little bit of look into a little bit of what personality he did have. So, um, Yeah, uh, definitely seems like a, a tragic character. A lot of uh, 
lot of scandal, a lot of controversy. Yep. But yep. At, the end, at the end, you know, regardless of regardless of what happened at the, at the center, you've got a really damaged human being. Unfortunately, yeah. a lot of times that's what makes great music. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, was he messed up. Um, all right. Well, uh, we're just going to take another quick break and then we'll get to our last song. All right. And we're back. We're talking about our favorite albums today on Overheard. Um, just to give you a quick overview um, from our last segment, we kind of touched on, you know, uh, just the uh, personality of Michael Jackson for a little bit for one of my favorite albums. And, you know, Joe and I were talking in between the segment. I just wanted to bring up, you know, the fact that uh, most most of his music was that that's all he was. Um, he didn't, you know, he's noted as saying it's not having a child, a real childhood. You know, he worked from a very early age. It's all about showbiz. I mean, it is a business. It looks fun, but it's not. And um, compared to uh, Judy Garland, it's a very, very old school, sad way to be. Um, you know, when she was doing Wizard of Oz, she was, you know, smoking cigarettes and um, drinking a lot of coffee, basically on speed, a bunch of different pills, just to try and keep her thin. As per studio, I mean, you know, back in those days, you know, women, that was, that was pretty much, I mean, the studio owned you. Unfortunately, you know, she was from a very early age in showbiz as well. She didn't have a chance to find herself, find a personality, you know, adapt as a person in the real world. It was all, all about the work. So you kind of see this odd human. And I just kind of wanted to make that parallel because I know, you know, as Joe mentioned, you know, there's the things that have come out about him or just all the talk, his weird habits. Like, you know, you're, you go to ex extremes when you're not allowed to express yourself and i feel like maybe through his music he could do that but again that's that's work that wasn't what he was doing outside of it i mean it was an outlet in some right but uh it really wasn't him like he couldn't go to a baseball game like we could like he was he was working all the time trying to uh make money and be that be that image be the be the icon be the symbol um but uh anyway uh moving on uh the next record we will talk about will be from Joe's Arsenal. So what do you got, Joe? I've got uh, I've got another great album. Uh, this one is from 2005, a little more recent. It's by one of my favorite bands, Ockerville River. It's called Black Sheep Boy. That's their third studio album. What genre is that? This is sort of uh, indie folk rock. Cool. We get a lot of that on this. <laughs> and uh, the title of the album Black Sheep Boy comes from the song Black Sheep Boy written by folk singer Tim Harden, who was really big in the 60s. Oh, yeah. And the album is sort of loosely based on a combination of the lead singer and kind of core of Aquaman. River, uh, Will Chef, sort of his failed relationships, heartbreaks, as well as Tim Harden's 
struggles with heroin, um, which are kind of legendary if you're familiar with the uh, 60s folk scene. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great, it's a beautiful album. Uh, a lot of, I mean, it's very acoustic guitar based. Um, very, very folk, folky vibe to it. Um, and the lyrics, Will Chef is uh, one of the great modern lyricists, I think. Um, he has sort of a very, he doesn't write like lines of lyrics, he writes paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> His songs can be uh, pretty dense, but really really beautiful melodies that he comes up with really great rhyme schemes and internal rhymes uh just some beautiful stuff and uh a little bit of info on uh tim harden for people who aren't familiar he wrote if i were a carpenter oh yeah yeah which has been covered countless times oh. by so many people um four tops seager take your pick you know yeah, and uh, he actually performed at Woodstock, but for various reasons, he was not included in either the documentary, the original documentary of Woodstock, or in the original soundtrack. Really? Why is that? Do you know? Um, it just it just didn't make the cut. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, what a kind of a slap in the face, I guess. Yeah. Like, to be there, <laughs> not included with it. But uh, the the music of, of Black Sheep Boy is incredible. Um, the There is sort of a, a character that comes up, the, the Black Sheep Boy, whose uh, thoughts and words are kind of uh, indicated in the lyrics when you see them in the booklet the lyrics booklet uh they always appear in quotes and uh it's kind of this this tragic figure that pops up in various songs i mean sometimes uh as um as a reflection of the singer who happens to be singing the song or as uh you know, some of the songs are from the perspective of the Black Sheep Boy himself. But we've got just, uh, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful song, and there's actually an appendix for it that came out a few years later of uh, additional songs that weren't included on the original album, but um, were released uh on their own later and I think the appendix is well worth uh, checking out as well some of the some of my favorite tracks from the original album are uh, A King and a Queen and A Stone songs that just uh, they're love songs about you know kind of unrequited love the sense of longing and desire for something that, for a person that is completely unavailable, someone who's clinging to the past, um, 
and uh, the closing track, or the, not the closing track, the second to last song on the album, So Come Back, I Am Waiting, mm-hmm. is uh, clocks in at just over eight minutes, and it is an absolute tour de force. It, it really uh, summarizes the album, really, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing, beautiful song that if it, if it's playing in my car and I have my own pull up to wherever I'm driving to my park, I have to just sit in my car until it's done. It's a, it's a phenomenal album. And that's wonderful. And, you know, you mentioned that, uh, it's, it pushes eight minutes. And one of the things that I, I like about the genre specifically, but you know, in most good music, I feel that good music, and it, it this isn't this isn't the bar for everything. Because sometimes you want to hear a song about nothing. You know, the lyrics could mean nothing. It's just fun. You like it has a good beat, but uh, um, a lot of good music is good storytelling. Like, and that's insanely hard to do. Um, you get it's hard to make. It's hard to put a story that kind of hits all the beats, but also has good music, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's like literal story, literal storytelling. Um, Bruce Bruce Springsteen has made a living out of it with a lot of his music. Great storyteller, singer, songwriter made his music work with telling a lot of stories. Um, and I'm, and I actually look forward to looking into the one that you just uh, mentioned. I, I have a feeling it'll be a lot like that. Yeah. It's, uh, Every song tells a tells a story, tells a part of a bigger story, and it, it really is kind of like watching each song is like a scene from a movie, and it just has its own setting, its own vibe to it. Somewhere a little more upbeat, you know, faster tempo. Some of them are really slow and stripped down, but uh, it is. It's really uh, an experience to listen to start to finish. And I remember when this album came out in 2005, uh, my best friend Alan introduced me to it. And uh, we just kind of were driving around in my car and listened listened to it straight through. And I was just absolutely, absolutely blown away. So it's, you know... 15 years and the songs are still as as fresh and amazing to me now as they were then oh my gosh isn't isn't that great that's and and i've seen oh go ahead i've seen ockerville river twice live and uh a great band to see live um it's been a really they've been kind of a dynamic band as far as they started off very very, with a very strong, like full, almost bluegrass vibe, a lot of acoustic guitar and mandolin, and the early songs and the guns more of a uh, more of a they have some more electronic elements these days, mm-hmm. yeah. a lot more synthesizers and uh, studio effects on the albums, but. Still amazing songwriting, amazing lyrics, great band to see live. 
And that's something that we've talked about. We miss live music, so I will definitely be checking that so. out. <laughs> and I and I hope everyone here does listening as well. Um, not uh, before I go into my third one, I just want to touch on something that you mentioned real quick, just because this I've been thinking about this. You know, you mentioned uh, storytelling, song quality. You know, when you were uh, you're driving around, you had to stop and listen to that song. I just felt like this one had to be mentioned. Um, it's not uh, it's not really a popular song. It's kind of a I don't want to say a B side track, but it's it's one that would be buried. I feel like on an album. Um, it's it just reminded me of that. I think, and this this might be a topic for another podcast, but I'm not, I'm gonna talk about it anyway. <laughs> just because <laughs> that's I, how we do. Yep, I feel so strongly about it. Um, it's it's a song called Diary by uh, Bread. Okay. Um, I don't know. Probably a lot of people aren't familiar. If I mean, if you're under the age of sixty, you're probably not, which is fine. Um, they were around in the late 60s, 70s. Um, they, you know, they did songs like uh, Baby, I'm a Want You. Um, kind of, kind of a band of its time, but they were, they were really good songwriters. Um, I don't want to say cheesy, but, you know, if you were to listen to it, it would seem kind of in a time once gone. But anyway, um, this this song really, I think personally, is one of the best. I guess you quote unquote call it a love song. It's one of the best love songs written of all time. Um, it's extremely depressing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's very sad. Good songs are. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. It's very, it's a very grown up coming to terms with with life in a very serious way. Um, it opens, it's the guitar in it is, it's almost too clever for its own good. It starts off, you know, very, like there's this acoustic, it's like, it's in a minor key. Like it's very like, it's, it's warming, but also kind of like, it could be sad. You don't really don't understand the tone yet. It could go either way, which is kind of, kind of so great about it. Because in the beginning, this guy is talking about this girl, how he loves her, how he wants to spend the rest of his life with her, and he's looking forward to being with her, just all these little little things. And there's all these little clues in the songs that like, oh yeah, you know, like um, we're gonna we're gonna be together, we're gonna do all these things. Um, and then he goes up to this place and he finds her di he finds her diary and he's going through it, you know, he's reading it at first, he's joyous about it. In the mood, it's it's so weird. You can feel the mood in the chords change in the tempo, but at the same time, it still keeps. It, it's so hard to explain. It keeps the same feel of like, is this is this still a happy song? But you can feel it going the opposite direction, and he starts reading about this woman that he loves, and he realizes that, you know, he's not the one that. He starts crying and he, he realizes that she's not, he's not the one that she is in love with. It's this other person. And, you know, uh, he basically, he's like, well, you know what? Uh, it's, it's all these wonderful things that I thought that we shared and that I, that I thought about her was, was not, was not about us. It was about her and this other person. And the later part of that song is him coming to terms with, I feel like this song represents true love in the in the greatest sense that like he has grown up and self aware aware enough to 
you know, what, first and foremost, you know, like deal with his feelings in the sense that like, she doesn't want me. That's fine. I just want happiness for her and whatever that looks like. It's sad as hell, but like, you know, that's, that's the biggest form of adulthood of truly caring about someone, but also just kind of dealing with it because that pain doesn't go away. It's just kind of there, but you also have to recognize the humanity and the person's choice. Anyway, I know that's really, that was probably more of a deep dive, but I just, that was on my mind for a while. (laughs) It's it's, worth checking out. Yeah. It's, it's not something that I feel is said or recognized a lot in music, but I, I just thought that was a really important theme. Also, you know, at the end of the song, you can definitely tell it's sad. <laughs> the, the guitar part, like it's it's just like a wah wah, <laughs> but but not that cheesy. I know it's like, yeah, it's 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 not like that, but like it's 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 heartbreaking. But uh, it's it's a great song. Okay, anyway, on the lighter side, uh, my third my third and final album would be. Um, one from my childhood, another one. Um, I'm going to go with the Lion King soundtrack. Oh, nice. I know it's a little out there, but, you know, um, when I was a kid, saw that movie, I don't know how many times in the movie theater. Um, when you were a young warthog. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. And, and honestly, you know, that movie's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty adult. It's basically a Disney version of Hamlet. I mean, you know, it's, you. That's an iconic movie, yeah. iconic soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Let's not talk about the remake. We're going with the original. I, you know what? No disrespect to the new thing and Disney's doing now. I know they're trying to bring it for the newer kids, but I feel like that's not necessary. They just need to go back to the '90s because that was, you know, that was uh that was '90s Disney was at its peak. But this movie, I mean, the soundtrack. I mean, also we had Elton John doing, you know, Can Circle you of Life. Yeah, yeah, that one. Oh. Circle, Circle of Life. Of life. Yeah. yeah, I mean, iconic, iconic soundtrack. Yeah. Even um, Hans Zimmer was in on the soundtrack as well, and he he did a lot of stuff like you know he did a lot of the newer Batman music, like the the uh, Kev, or, uh, Christian Bale soundtracks. He did Gladiator. He did. Gosh, I can't think of any movie. I mean, he I think he did Pirates of the Caribbean at one point too. I'm sure, pretty sure he yeah he did. He was involved in that, but I mean he was everywhere as far as like soundtracks go for movies, but uh, he was involved in this one as well. Um, it's, it's just, it's just a great soundtrack. Like it's fun for it's kid music. There's a lot of spiritual stuff. It's, it's, it's what a soundtrack should be. Yeah. There's just so like when you've got a kid's movie, like it is, it is everything. It's got a lot of humor. It's got some real, tearjerker moments it's got some real uplifting upbeat stuff like absolutely timeless yeah and you know you have a lot of iconic images thrown through the through through these songs like you know if you've ever if you haven't seen the movie there's a there's a portion where scarface is on top of the mountain or scarface oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, man (laughs) Yeah, and then he does a line of coke and makes the hyenas go. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello to my little hyena. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. Oh. Why are you just laying, laying around out there waiting for me to eat you? <laughs> Fly, <laughs> pelican. <laughs> Fly, Zazu. 
but uh yeah when he's on when he's doing the song be prepared and they're kind of marching like it's you know it's, it's yeah it's a reference to it yeah yeah reference to hitler and like that kind of show yeah but and then there's just a lot of other stuff when he's talking about the skull like you know that was very much hamlet but i mean the overall story was basically hamlet but anyway you know you had a lot of those famous actors too like Rowan Atkinson was Zazu that blew my mind I didn't find that out until I was an adult <laughs> Mr. Bean <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites yeah that blew my mind that was crazy um, yeah, um, I got I have a, a very deep connection to that movie so I'm kind of really glad you brought it up oh good yeah uh, so my sister was in kindergarten I have a younger sister Emmy and uh, when she was in kindergarten that movie came out and she was in school one day and somehow it came up in her class with the teacher about like who had seen lion king and she was the only kid in her class who hadn't seen it oh and she came home crying oh so, no so my mom took her to see it right away <laughs> her absolute favorite movie i mean still one of her favorite movies to this day but um she and i would constantly without any prompting act out uh the act out any scene involving timon and pumbaa <laughs> I, I was always pumbaa and she was timon <laughs> and uh we had that movie memorized front to back and i'm sure we could still recite it to this day um just a lot a lot of really happy memories associated with that movie as i'm sure a lot of people do yeah I mean, shoot, I, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to Caitlin, sometimes we'll still throw out quotes from that movie. It's mostly like the hyena stuff, but like, <laughs> there he goes, there he goes. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Oh yeah, dude, it's just, uh, I want to watch that now. Oh, I'm going to watch it. I'm gonna watch it when we're done with this. So let's wrap it up, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's fine. Oh yeah, Disney Plus. Shoot. Yeah. Is it Disney on there? Plus. Oh yeah. Oh. Every, yeah. Good. Good. I'm honestly, I've just been going through all the Marvel movies again. I don't... <laughs> yeah, I just watched the newest Mandalorian episode. Uh, oh, is it good? Oh my oh. god! I yeah, man, doing the Lord's work. Let me tell you. What a great show! Mm -hmm. What a great show! A lot of Clone Wars references. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> well, if they haven't seen it by now. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. If they're listening to this instead of watching the newest episode of Mandalorian, you got your priorities. Where, yeah, where'd you go wrong with your life? <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, it was good talking to you tonight, as always, and... That's all I got. Do you have anything? Any? Um, I got a fourth. <laughs> oh, so, oh, sorry. Real quick. I know, I know it's a little breaking the mold here, but there, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about favorite albums without including my favorite triple album of all time. Oh, okay. And that is 69 Love Songs by Oh, yeah. And, yep. I mean, it was released in 99. I was introduced to it 
by my friend Alan, who also introduced me to Aquifer River, um, as well as so many other amazing bands. But um, I was introduced to this in the mid 2000s sometime. And it is three albums all together. Each have each has twenty three songs on it, and uh, the the heart and soul of the magnetic field, Stephen Merritt. Uh, he was in a gay piano bar in New York, listening to a Sondheim uh, piano review, and he got inspired to create an album of love songs, but in the style of a music review with like a (laughs) bunch of different styles, a bunch of different singers. And his original idea was to write a hundred songs, but then he was like, well, that's too many. So he decided on 69 instead. (laughs) It's a good number. (laughs) He's very, uh, He's very particular and kind of, I don't want to say OCD, but kind of OCD in the way he organizes things, like three albums of 23 songs. Oh, yeah. Um, he has the Magnetic Field 7 album in, uh, entitled I, in which every track on the album starts with the letter I, every track title. Wow. And when I saw him, uh, play a solo show. Um, he played 26 songs, uh, one song for each letter of the alphabet in alphabetical order. Yeah, there's <laughs> really, the... <laughs> he, dresses, he, uh, he dresses all in brown because black is overdone. Uh, it's a really fascinating character. Yeah, he's, he's got some neuroses going on for sure. But um, he, the, this album, this. I, I call it an album, even though it's three separate albums. It's all like one, one conceptual piece. It's it's amazing. Every kind of love song is it, that you could ever want to hear is included in this collection. And uh, as as Seth Merritt said, it's not songs about love. It's songs about love songs <laughs> and you've got songs like, of love. <laughs> uh, songs like uh papa was a rodeo which is oh that's a good song it's sort of like i got kind of a old western kind of inspired lyrics yeah. is really uh is is andrew and drag on that one no no that okay is, uh, that's a couple albums later right Book, uh, Book of Love is on that one, though, right? Book of Love, yeah, yeah that is that. It was also covered by Seal. Yeah, I believe years later, Peter Gabriel did a good cover of it too. Yep, beautiful, beautiful love song. I mean, I think that is about as perfect as a love song gets. Um, and uh, there, there's all kinds. There's a lot of humor. There's really clever, clever lyrics and puns throughout the lyrics, and just a, a absolutely dizzying uh, range of, of musical styles throughout the albums and uh, it also features I believe four different vocalists so it's a really it's, it's not the same 
it's not just Stefan singing on every track. You know, there's, there's yeah. different. Oh different yeah, yeah, that. Uh, um, yeah. So you get it really does feel like a review, like playing playing this start to finish. It's just it's it's all over the place. Like you can really imagine just sort of like a, a stage and a, a smoky lounge and just these different different performers getting up and playing this like wide it's basically like an open mic that was recorded. It's it's really got that feel too, you can really tell it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they they've got a lot of different styles on their in all their not lot, not just albums but songs. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I mean it, it sounds like a compilation album of different different artists instead of just one cohesive piece, and that's that's the beauty of it. All right, man. Well, I'm glad that you brought that one up. Um, I mean, I got one more if you want to keep going. Just yeah, a little bit. All right, yeah, cool. It's only fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're just going to take a quick break then, and then we'll uh, do our last one. to our, I believe our third second of this episode of Overheard. We're just, uh, we just got a lot to say today, apparently. But uh, um, where we left off, uh, Joe was talking about an album from the Magnetic Fields, and he just wants to uh, ex expand upon that a little bit more. Yeah, um, amazing album. And one of the, one of my favorite things about this album is that it's not just, 69 love songs a lot of the love songs uh deal with all all kinds of love you know like gay straight trans bi is something that the magnetic fields are are known for being very lgbtq inclusive as, as a number of their members are members of that community but the, the songs in this album are very much uh, inclusive of all kinds of relationships. And that, that's things that also carry over into, you know, just all kinds of Magnetic Fields albums. Like you mentioned, Andrew and Drag, which is a phenomenal song. Great music video, too. Um, yep. That's all about a man goes to a finds himself at a drag show to see you know just invited by a friend sees a, a friend of his up on stage and drag and falls madly in love with his friend his friend's drag character and is just absolutely devastated so that it was just a one-off and that he'll never see this beautiful woman again <laughs> Down the street, 
Sweet Loving Man, just some really, really beautiful songs. That um, that song, Andrew and Drag, I think the Shins did a cover of that too that was pretty good. Oh, nice. Yep. Anyway, that that's, that's awesome. I'm actually glad that you brought that up because they are very... <laughs> A very 2020 group. This guy's <laughs> very cool. Yep, very, very, but in a good way. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess my last one would be um, probably no shock to you. I know I've mentioned this one before in our previous um, podcast, but uh, it's an album done by Social Distortion. It would be somewhere. <laughs> Go ahead. What's that? I'm just surprised it didn't come up sooner. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, it would be uh, somewhere between heaven and hell. Nice, nice. Yeah. Also, the the album work on it is kind of what I love about it. It's a picture of Mike Ness on the front, jumping up in the air with his Les Paul. Um, has a very old school kind of like an Elvisy '60s, '50s '60s, old school rock and roll feel to it. It's considered, and he considers himself punk. But one of the things I love about Mike Ness is that. He's always about his sound. Um, a lot of his early influences are country. When they first started out, you know, Social Distortion was very much punk, very punk. But as their sound evolved, as he got older, it turned into very country, very, it's basically Hank Williams Sr. with Distortion is the best way to put it. Sped up a little bit. And I mean, it's, he considers himself punk, but it's just very, it's just very old school rock and roll feel to it. It's it's awesome, and and yeah. I it's you know it's 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 one of those. It's another one. It's you're, you're crossing a lot of different genres. Um, and he's I don't want to use I guess borderline obsessed, but like his whole thing is his tone. Like he you know I've mentioned before he uses accordion amps. Um, he's got a Fender bassman. Um, he uses a lot of old school, like he doesn't get the newer stuff where it's all like preamps and it's, it's all, he uses tubes. Um, when he records, shoot, when he plays on stage, he uses a lot of, I mean, anything older than like early seventies, he, you won't see it in his, um, in his set list or I mean, set list in his, uh, in his sets, but, uh, it's, it's just it's just all about sound even his guitars like you know um he's getting things that were made back in the day because the wood was grown a certain way you know it was one of, one of his quotes that he says when art and industry were one um which i think is really cool like a lot of you know he's a car collector he takes the same approach to his cars a lot of older cars um but anyway uh just some things about this album i'm not going to really go and go into it in heavy detail because i feel like i talk about this band quite a bit <laughs> um and honestly it's, it's just a great album actually they did a live they did a live show on new year's eve um in the early 1992 uh, at uh, cbgb's in new york um they did a live show it was up on the big screen um promoting this album it's kind of when they i don't want to say when they first got in the limelight because they had a couple of hits before this but this is when they really started to pick up um a couple of notable tracks on it um bad luck um, that's one of my favorite ones. Um, that was actually not to get too ahead of it, but uh, a cover was done by uh, Tim Timebomb from Rancid. It's it actually really works. It's pretty good. Um, uh, 
kind of a reggae like acoustic kind of thing going on but uh in the original version like it's just about this guy down on his luck it's kind of a it's kind of it's not serious but also joking at the same time like it's about this guy who is on hard times but also he's he's kind of in in charge of his own problems like if he would just got to get out of his own way like he has a lot of bad luck but like it's it's kind of his fault <laughs> um and then another this is just an interesting track uh, 99 to life it's not one of the more known ones but it's uh about this guy who was with this girl um he's in jail the rest of his life because his his wife girlfriend whatever was screwing around on him and so uh he offed her I know it's probably not the best topic, but it's kind of, it's just an interesting, like it's an old style kind of bluesy, like kind of gangster kind of thing. Like he's, you know, like a Dillinger kind of deal. Um, I just bring that one up because a lot of his songs are about redemption, you know, having a lot of issues, working through them. Um, there, there, there's, there's a point to pain basically, but this one's just kind of, no, you, you screwed up. You're going to be in jail the rest of your life. <laughs> I just thought it was—I just thought it was kind of an interesting track on an album where he's always kind of just working through stuff. And that's—and that's one of the things I like about him. Like, he made music for himself first of all. Like, um, you know, he says in interviews, like, you know, people come up to me and they're like, "Hey, man, like, love your music. You got me through some hard times." And he's like, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> like, that's why I wrote it. Like, uh, but. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that doesn't pretend to have it figured out. He's always, he's always saying like, you know, like I didn't know what was going on. I just wrote what I thought would help me at the time, what I was going through. I was trying to figure out, I was raising a family. I didn't have a good upbringing myself. Like he was into drugs. Like this, this album basically signifies like right when he got clean, um, he was, you know, into heroin quite a bit, uh, before this, you know, he, he mentioned like, you know, not really having enough energy for recording because he was just trying to get his next fix all the time. But uh, he decided to go clean. You know, he's been clean ever since. And this this album really picks up for them. I feel like in the creative department where um, they really starting to come into the fold. But it's it's a great listen. Um, it's on, they're, our, they're on Spotify. Check it out. It's totally awesome. Born to Lose is another really good track on there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I got. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Oh, actually, yeah, that reminds me, um, just one of my favorite lines, one of the reasons I like, I like this album, uh, on the track Born to Lose, um, one of the lines I really like is, uh, your mom said I was a loser, a dead-end cruiser, but deep in down, deep, deep down inside I knew that she was right. Like, <laughs> 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 well, that, that just, uh. Uh, that just really always that one always really stuck with me but uh you can you can run but deep down you you know who you are you can you can put on a face but you you know where you're at yeah but uh well that's uh, that's all i got um you got anything else oh that's it for today awesome that was that was a long one today i'm glad we actually had a lot to talk about on this one yeah i mean good good deep dive on some good music good stuff and honestly more overall i hope people found something new that they can listen to themselves yep we're gonna update our overheard playlist pretty soon so all the music we've been talking about in this episode will be on our spotify overheard playlist yeah and if you like some of it awesome if you've already heard it and you just want to have some nostalgia feels fantastic
All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week, Joe. Yep. See you. All right. Bye.